Driving the Future is a podcast about where the automotive industry is going and how not only to keep up with the rapidly changing business, but to shape it. Fueled by such factors as the climate crisis and the digital revolution, the automotive industry is changing. Like all businesses, OEMs are looking for ways to make their business more sustainable. When we think about sustainability in automotive, we tend to think about electric vehicles. And while electric vehicles are important, they're only one piece of a much bigger and very complex ecosystem. This includes OEM's suppliers and their suppliers' suppliers, as well as designing more sustainable production practices, and even creating whole new business models. In a recent episode of Future Sight, a podcast by Capgemini Invent, host Liz Lunier talked with several experts to take an in-depth look at how to make the automotive industry more sustainable. There are lots of good insights, and so we'd like to share the episode here with you. Here it is. This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. On today's show, we're discussing sustainability in the automotive industry. The automotive industry is currently developing the technology that is at the core of what will be driving us all towards a more sustainable future. But what roadblocks is the industry facing and how are they working towards the new electric revolution? Joining me today to discuss this are experts from here at Capgemini. Hi, I'm uh, Siegfried Adam, Director at Capgemini for Automotive Consulting, and I'm based in Munich. I'm the global lead for sustainable mobility in Capgemini Invent, and I'm helping our automotive clients to accelerate their journeys to become sustainable businesses, leverage technology, and cross-industry thinking. And... Hello, everyone. My name is um, Jas Markus Winkler. I'm Executive Vice President and I'm part of the um, Global Automotive Teaming. Um, as well, I work mainly with our large automotive mobility clients um, on basically all the topics that we are covering from a technology point of view, from a uh, consulting point of view, an engineering point of view. And I'm also quite engaged in building our proposition uh, for our clients towards uh, sustainability. And hi, my name is Sheila Patel. I'm based in Seattle. Uh, I'm a vice president in the advisory arm of Capgemini called Invent. And I really bring a perspective of how to execute on some of the sustainable changes in the automotive industry uh, to create the companies of today and more importantly, tomorrow. I'm often working with clients to answer questions such as, you know, how is the work going to be focused on and what are the people and program enablers that need to be mobilized uh, in order to create outcomes from the actions that are undertaken. So I've spent a majority of my career really helping companies incorporate the technologies that Siegfried and Marcus discussed uh, to help solve business problems by applying great talents. And as a consumer, I'm very excited to hear about this topic and the progression of this industry. Excellent, excellent. So let's get right into it. So Siegfried, as an expert in the automotive field, what is keeping all the major automotive OEMs awake at night as far as sustainability is concerned? So one perspective to answer this question is how do they deal with the pressure that is coming on their 
um, business model that has been successful for many decades and now coming from different directions, such as to reduce emissions coming from regulators, competition and com consumers and uh, resulting need to convert their product portfolios to electric vehicles, the pressure to create transparency on all kinds of ESG topics, the pressure to deal with supply chain disruptions, energy crises, and geopolitical risks, which have been escalating recently. But another perspective is to rephrase the question, sustainability as the ability to be resilient against such challenges, and helping to leverage significant efficiency potentials, developing new business models, as well as winning new customer segments. So overall, I think the industry seems to have gone through this paradigm shift and understood that those opportunities need to be grasped. And that's why most OEMs have defined ambitious targets in the last two years, which they now have to deliver on, of course. All right, so you're telling me about these targets that they need to deliver on. And you're telling me that they seem to be under a lot of pressure. Marcus, what about these targets? How far are most automotive OEMs in their drive to sustainable mobility? Yeah, actually, um, let me maybe go one step back and uh, look at the situation uh, a few years ago. Uh, that was also when we came out with uh, a first report with the Capgemini Research Institute. The automotive industry had almost one single answer to sustainability, and this was electrification. And uh, going electric was the, more or less the synonym for uh, being sustainable. And uh, then actually, you know, with all the pressures that the secret has, has outlined, I think it was very clear that the automotive industry has uh, a strong responsibility actually towards uh, sustainability. And therefore, we have to go much beyond the electrification um, efforts. Um, so really be clear on meeting the uh, Paris Agreement, but at the same time also take a, an end-to-end -end perspective on sustainability. And that goes now beyond electrification. It means a fully dark decarbonization, first of all, defining and then also sticking to a net zero goal. Uh, but also, how do I bring now sustainability into uh, operations? And now the study that uh, has just come out um, that we have conducted uh, yeah, in the last uh, few months in 2022, it shows actually that now more and more companies are falling a little bit behind the goals, the goals that they have actually raised in the expectations that have been there and they've fallen falling short. And um, this is definitely something where uh, we need uh, to take, a, or the industry needs to take a much closer look on how to actually accelerate, especially in those uh, times. Looking at the recent study, um, it's, um, we are also seeing that there are a couple of leaders in the field, but those leaders are only, you know, around 10% of uh, the overall community. And those leaders actually can also bring much better benefits. But there is definitely a gap in the ambition for sustainability and giving sustainability actually a strong meaning. Uh, while actually the implementation of sustainability initiatives are falling short. 
And uh, Siegfried, you know that as well, as well as uh, Sheila, we are, we are looking at mainly in the automotive industry now at uh, the supply chain. Um, I think that's definitely something we could further discuss. We are looking at um, how to actually reduce, uh, for example, uh, yeah, greenhouse gases in the production. But we need to take an end-to-end view uh, on the overall a perspective on sustainability in the automotive industry to really have an effect um, on the sustainability promises. Well, let's dive into this with some real examples. I mean, Siegfried, can you give me some real examples about what Marcus was just ta- talking about? I think we've seen a lot of technologies now coming into the products that we actually been waiting for, for the last five to even 10 years. So When I entered the consulting space, electric mobility was coming on the table again. And my personal um, thoughts were, this is going to go in the next three to five years. And now it took 10 years. Now it's happening. Now we have really nice electric vehicles. Uh, We have battery technology. We have the connectivity and digital services that that are necessary to make this uh, convenient and really comfortable to use electric vehicles. Um, but there's a lot to do in the background. So there's a lot to do in the operational processes to support this transformation, not just to electric mobility, as Marcus already pointed out, but to basically a circular economy uh, to have in the future. So really across the whole industry to connect the different players based on data to um, establish new processes to make sure that components and materials are being returned. So these are the the big challenges that now have to be, uh, yeah, the, the loose ends have to be brought together. And uh, that's uh, that's the, the main challenge the automotives have now from my perspective. And Siegfried, if I may, I may add here, when we look at the specifically the, the challenges and, uh, and we are by serving, let's say, um, those um, executives um, in the uh, in the industry, we are seeing that um, more than and a half are saying that that, they, that there's actually an insufficient link of the sustainability goals to the day-to-day activities. So I think this is uh, something where where definitely the industry um, has to work on. The other area that was highlighted, which is the key challenges, are actually talking about let's say, how can I really come up with the right KPIs? What is the right data that we can use actually to measure the effect on sustainability? The third thing, which was also, I think, uh, quite interesting is yeah, the difficulty in measuring and how to report those emission data is still, let's say, not clear. And the, the fourth point actually this was mentioned uh, in the study is talking about let's say the lack of the internal alignment of all those different sustainability initiatives um, that do exist in those enterprises so meaning actually that there is uh, quite a headache how to actually accelerate this in a kind of an immature organization um, when we look um, at the topic of sustainability Sheila, do you want to add anything here? Yeah, picking up on what Marcus is saying, it's really an enablement of people uh, to help really go towards a similar direction with a comprehensive transformation program. 
And that's what we help do here at Capgemini is help companies really create that environment to really think about there are different parts of an organization that really need to help get mobilized around this. We've seen employees get excited at, at automotive companies around the EV market and making sure that they're moving forward. But how do we now take that acceleration step to move them even further on that journey? How to mobilize as a company at sometimes immature uh, environments? And I would argue and say that there's one more leap that the automotive industry needs to do, which is uh, very common in some of the consumer products industry clients that we work with, which is actually bringing along the scope three suppliers. So we've started talking about the supplier base and the the need for that end-to-end view. But as an automotive industry, they are representing their suppliers and their supplier suppliers. So the thought is that these automotive companies are really thinking about uh, their corporate responsibility to bring forward not only their own decarbonization, but also the decarbonization of their suppliers and their supplier suppliers. Wow, that's really interesting. I guess, Marcus, what would you say would be some of the main strategic pillars of sustainable action? I'm hearing scope three and procurement with, you know, and the idea of the supplier suppliers here. You've got electrification of vehicles. What are some of the other pillars of sustainable action that we're looking at in the automotive industry? I think um, we have to look really, we need to have a comprehensive look on the end-to-end of a product lifecycle at the end of the day. So that means, or that can start with the engineering and even the design of the vehicle. We're talking here about the, uh, let's say, sustainability in design um, with the idea, for example, that you get a product which you can, uh, which is already using, for example, recycled parts which is already uh, carrying material with a low uh, carbon footprint. And therefore, here the challenge is how to actually uh, be still, have a look still at, at the margin and do the arbitration between maybe a higher cost of a sustainability part versus, for example, the overall footprint that the product does. But also you have already here in this early step to have in mind what does that mean later on, for example, for the recycling? Because it could be that the recycling quota, for example, is much lower. So therefore, the design, the product has to also incorporate uh, yeah, the major thinking of sustainability goals. Going forward, that's definitely then uh, going uh, towards, uh, let's say, sourcing and the, the supply chain part that uh, Sheila already um, outlined. Uh, here, I think um, the automotive companies are uh, doing good progress. We have, for example, Catena X as uh, one of the organizations um, where, the, where the automotive industry works together on, on a better tracking and traceability of parts of metals um, and so on. So the supply chain and procurement part is uh, quite uh, quite a, a main uh, topic. Then further down, you need a lot of energy. For example, you have a lot of water consumption in the production process um, itself, just to take an example here. Um, so the production um, uh, perspective is more and more important. Um, by the way, also where it is produced, what kind of energy has been used. I think that's something where we will see major movement um, in the future. And um, and then also, um, even when the vehicle is sold, and I'm sure Siegfried has a few examples there uh, in a moment as well, 
um, where uh, because also in the sales and then later on after sales process, it is uh, important also to have sustainability in mind. And um, the vehicle usage as such is definitely, um, uh, let's say, another building block in this end-to-end journey. And then actually we are coming even to end of life and then again to the circular uh, economy aspect of using and reusing these materials uh, for, for the product. But that gives just an outline. So my point here is you have to take a comprehensive view end-to-end on the vehicle life cycle, and at the same time, you know, um, go deep into those, um, yeah, even into, into the ecosystem um, to understand actually the overall sustainability footprint and the effects um, that you can, uh, that you are able to manage. And uh, I think, Marcus, what you just mentioned, uh, the usage phase is is really key to reach the 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 sustainability goals because today with okay um, um combustion engines we have almost 80% of co2 emissions coming from fuel so that will of course shift to the time before the the vehicle is produced but still the the way consumers and customers use these vehicles that is a crucial point and that's why the car manufacturers also have the responsibility in my point of view to support customers to find the right product, to find the right uh, combination maybe of mobility services and products and help them uh, save on um, energy to um, to optimize their, their route. So uh, it's also a lot of technology involved here where they can differentiate them against uh, other providers. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that's interesting to me in the automotive industry is, is that we've, we've moved from calling it automotive to mobility in many cases. And the idea of some of these new business models that are actually existing in the automotive industry, particularly around subscription. I was with Lincoln Co. two days ago for, um, for some of the work that I do. And I mean, Marcus, do you think that some of these new subscription models and these new business models that might be coming to market are also going to impact sustainability? I mean, first of all, um, we need to understand that, um, let's say, the overall volume has already decreased. But those decrease in volume of vehicle output is mainly because of uh, supply chain shortages. The demand is there. As you can see also in the used car market as well, the demand is there from the market still. But um, in the long run, models like you just mentioned, um, uh, you know, which change ownership, uh, which goes into short-term uh, lease models, short-term rent models, um, or also those uh, subscription models, which can be terminated uh, maybe, you know, after weeks, actually. And you have to fully, it gives the consumer full flexibility on. But coming to your question, I mean, the sustainability um, uh, perspective is definitely a perspective that is not only um, about the vehicle ownership experience. It's definitely how the vehicle is operated. It's just Secret's point. Um, at the same time, um, as well, how do you use, let's say, these new mobility options? And, um, you know, uh, I think a very prominent example is already when you are, when you are ordering the taxi service online um, or a pickup service online, you have it, uh, you can already choose, uh, you know, whether you want to have, an, uh, for example, an electrical model uh, to have you pick up or actually you are still 
going uh, for a normal taxi, for example, or an Uber. Um, but this is um, just gives you um, an idea that the overall sustainability goal has to comprise mobility as such. And it's definitely not only the vehicle output. How are companies transforming their businesses from an early sustainability maturity phase to being more forward thinkers in the industry, particularly here in automotive? Sheila, how about you take this one? Yeah, I think what they're doing is really uh, mobilizing and really thinking about how they use the data that they have pulled together. Uh, If you think about the journey that Marcus and Siegfried discussed around the actual use, as well as, uh, you know, the op- the operations, uh, et cetera. You've got so many data points coming from the car itself uh, through telematics and preventive maintenance systems, uh, the, the car itself. Um, what they're doing is really thinking about how to take that data, harness it, uh, obviously to the longevity of the actual vehicle, but also how to create uh, what clients want and consumers want uh, as a part of what they evolve to. Uh, having EVs out there certainly is going to be uh, a good next step. But then what comes next? And a lot of these companies are starting to think that about that through the data that they are gathering uh, so that they can build the uh, the customer and uh, the uh, company of tomorrow to support that customer. Let's talk a little bit more about that data that you're talking about. So how is data capture helping companies reach net zero, Sheila? Yeah, so um, obviously there are... Uh, systems that are naturally coming into place uh, around ESG, uh, and we're waiting for the impending SEC legislation that will come through in the U.S. Uh, This journey has already started more globally, uh, but uh, this is an attempt to have companies start to really assess um, their business operations and the risks associated with them uh, through data, uh, essentially, to analyze the different parts of a company to ensure that there is a risk tolerance in place. There's an acknowledgement for the physical risks of different plants and different geographies uh, be a part of the considerations that a company thinks about uh, as they think about other risks, such as their supply chain uh, and disruptions to that that Marcus discussed. Uh, It's really uh, starting to look at data and those other uh, environmental factors to really think about how to capture the information in a way that ESG allows for them to uh, then carbonize and start to uh, enumerate essentially what their progress is around their net zero goals. I would assume too that there's going to be a lot of specialized data for the automotive industry that we could be capturing from some of these vehicles as well. Siegfried, do you want to comment on that, how we could use some of that specialized data too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean... Most of the OEMs um, already are really collecting data from their vehicles, uh, from their fleets. Uh, some examples like BMW, who have been doing that now uh, for about 15 years. Um, so they have very good insight into how their vehicles are used. For example, um, are plug-in hybrids being used in electric mode? Uh, where does that happen? Does that happen in cities? Does that happen outside of cities? Um, they can also then analyze um, how fleets are being used for large corporate fleets uh, to help them, again, these customers um, to get an, uh, an overview and to get, in, get insights into their footprint. So there's a lot of uh, potential from, from the car data. 
um, also to educate uh, consumers, to motivate them with uh, gamification solutions. Um, I think there's a large potential. Um, on the other hand, what's also important regarding data is, um, from my perspective, um, the view into the future uh, in terms of a circular economy. So to understand where do components come from, how much have they been used, predicting any uh, repair need for vehicles in order to understand what can I reuse, uh, which component, uh, what can I reuse, which material, um, where does the material come from? And that is not just happening within the OEMs, organization or data uh, systems. That's really happening uh, across the whole value chain. And that's why systems and uh, organizations like uh, Marcus mentioned, Katina X, um, are so important because they bring these players together. They create a platform which is uh, secure in terms of data, which is uh, um, automated and supported. And I think that's a, that's a great uh, development that we see here. Excellent. So Marcus, can you tell us a little bit more about how some of these auto manufacturers are actually incorporating circularity into their strategy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, on the one hand side, um, we see um, in the latest report that uh, the circular economy as such was mentioned a little bit lower than 2019. But the thing is, it's now much more concrete what needs to be done in circular economy. Maybe another aspect in the efforts in circular economy is actually going into what kind of materials are used, uh, for example, for uh, the vehicle uh, design, for the, for the product itself. Um, I think that is how now the circular economy idea is actually instantiating um, now on the different steps in the whole um, end-to-end um, idea. And um, I think it's also, we have to think about that electrification will be the new normal in the near future. And therefore, we can actually guess that um, uh, the circular economy part will take much more room in the future, in future discussions, because this is also how you will differentiate um, actually against uh, competition. Got it. Got it. That's very interesting. If we're looking at circularity, how does the circular strategies and like ESG positively affect supply chain management and net goals and business outcomes? Sheila? Yeah, I think that when we think about circularity and some of the ESG reporting, obviously that creates the goal setting and the mindset of the company to really say, hey, we all need to lean into these things. And so then you see uh, the different departments actually come and line up for attributing or contributing to that, if you think about it from a comprehensive transformation perspective. And the role of the operations would be certainly to try to think about all the different aspects of their operations on the shop floor, uh, the assembly lines, of course, the back office, and all the machinery to think about how to really bring some of these in, in this uh the circularity into play, right? So whether that's recycling, whether that's preventative maintenance and making sure that machines don't break down uh, as as quickly as they they could, uh, whether that's taking data and uh, informing uh, folks uh, of things that are starting to go wrong, you know, trying to minimize the waste, uh, 
uh, obviously the different uh, usage of minerals and thinking about the life cycle of the product and minimizing all the different aspects of it in terms of using uh, precious metals, uh, et cetera, are things that we're starting to see companies really uh, take a look at and really examine and put some dollars investment behind in order to ensure that they are looking at this. Now, the good news is that companies were looking at their operations and their supply chain based on the disruptions over the last couple of years. So this is just an additional lens that they're using to kind of think about it from a different way. Uh, Some companies are even thinking about outsourcing uh, parts of what they do to other companies in order to save them the ability to focus on the parts that they are good at. So we're starting to see companies really rationalize and think about this from the lens of what are we good at? What can we really influence? And what are the ones, things that we should be thinking about for others to do? That's really interesting, Sheila. Now, a lot of times we talk about, when we talk about sustainability in the past, there's always been kind of a green tax in many cases that it's, you know, sustainability is a premium. But it seems like with some of these things with circularity and within the supply chain that there's also an opportunity and even with even design, there may be an opportunity to save on cost by going into some of these routes. Siegfried, do you want to kind of comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the um, important potentials that um, sustainability activities uh, bring about. So really looking into all these um, processes, into these structures, into the supplies and it's more than a supply chain it's uh, these are supply networks understanding uh, what's happening there and then really um, leveraging the potential to reduce energy to d- reduce waste as Marcus already pointed out and uh, there's a lot of cost reduction potential that's pretty clear but on the other hand I think circularity or sustainability is also a great opportunity to differentiate in the market and we were talking a lot about uh, supply chain and operations and products now. But what what's um, missing very often or missing in the past has been missing is the, the customer, the consumer perspective. So it's, a, it's really important to excite customers about these products, about sustainability, to give them um, guidance how to do it as more and more consumers who are interested in that, especially the young generations, uh, and they expect and they um, request support and guidance and and the right solutions for them, which can be uh, cars, but um, that's what we talked about before, um, is the full space of mobility options um, that that are growing. That's fantastic. Marcus, do you have anything to add there? Oh, I would um, maybe even uh, further stress what um, Secret um, just uh, came up with because it it's not only a cost topic; it it has definitely an effect on the on the top line um, at the end of the day because we can really uh, see um, that this is a let's say that this will be a, a new normal that the consumer will be in will decide at the end of the day for a sustainable product um, um, at the end of the day. So I I would even go further and say um, (laughs) the the players um, in the the new age of uh, sustainability and ESG can only be successful if they fully inherit all the ESG principles. 
Um, it will have an effect on the uh, on the consumer um, behavior. It will have an effect actually on um, on uh, how to actually get money from the investors. Um, it has uh, an effect on who are you able to partner with in the future and who are not, because uh, there will be uh, definitely hurdles for those uh, companies who will uh, not come um, so far um, because they will not be allowed to enter this kind of, uh, of a new value partnership towards um, a sustainable economy. That's fascinating, Marcus. I like that. Now, we're talking about the consumers, but what about the employees internally? Earlier, Sheila, you were kind of talking about some of the change management that we need to do inside of the companies to make these kind of things happen. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, I think that obviously employees understand the need uh, for companies to uh, move the needle when it comes to sustainability. But now, changing your day-to-day responsibilities to look different is a whole nother level, right? So, and there isn't a, a training manual that says, hey, here's what the new guidance is in terms of exactly what you do. Uh, so we're all learning together. And it's a little bit about uh, now that you've got a role, let's say, as an analyst, and now you're tasked with now looking at measures around sustainability uh, in the average uh, you know, company, uh, how does that evolve? How do you, what are the skills that you need to have to start to do that? Um, and we're seeing the infusion of, of new talents actually coming out uh, based on new programs and new uh, institutes that have new upscaling as well as new programs and colleges that are focused on sustainability and helping uh, employees and people just really learn how to use the sustainability mindset, if you will, to apply to their everyday job. Uh, we're seeing this kind of similar in a revolution, similar to what we did a couple of years ago with digital. Um, now it's really around putting sustainability into your day-to-day uh, job and your your outlook and the way that you work. Uh, and so it's, it's just uh, taking it to another level of uh, understanding and relating to your day-to-day. Siegfried, do you find that, you know, the automotive companies are able to attract more talent when they have more sustainability goals in mind as well? Absolutely. Um, For the Gen Z, for example, um, having a purpose as a company is is a mandatory prerequisite for them to be fascinated by an employer. And uh, we also see that in consulting that our young consultants, uh, they sometimes they say, I only want to work on sustainability projects. And for me, it's important that um, you as an employer have have your ambitions also in that direction. That's the same in the automotive industry. So um, it's a big factor um, for employee motivation, employee retention, and talent attraction, um, especially for the Generation Z. That's great. Now we've talked. I mean, we've talked a bit about circularity, but we haven't really gone deep into battery design yet. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. So, electrification, as we discussed earlier, is one of the core pillars of the automotive industry's sustainable strategy. How are we really seeing innovation in the design of batteries that is at the center of the strategy, Marcus? I think on the um, uh, battery business. I mean, this is now increasing uh, high-tech that we are seeing. We're seeing new generations of batteries with um, uh, less material from unknown sources. 
nevertheless, you know, we can, we are also seeing that those raw materials are getting more and more rare materials. So uh, we can actually um, uh, see that um, the consumption of of those, um, let's say, rare materials will go down in future battery designs. But a very important point um, as well um, is not only the production of the battery itself and the sourcing of the battery materials, also for um, uh, for the mobility itself. I think we are seeing um, more and more um, a higher capacity for those batteries with uh, actually a lighter weight, because this, at the end of the day, is the key also to acceptance uh, for uh, consumers. Um, uh, because still um, about, for example, the range uh, anxiety um, uh, on the on the consumers who decide uh, or not is to decide uh, for electric vehicles, but future batteries will definitely cater for um, a better range. Therefore, um, it is uh, for me quite clear that uh, if we are we are at the beginning only of these new generations of batteries. So we will see in the next years um, uh, yeah, an uplift in innovations in the battery itself, in the battery management, and also in the electric management in the vehicle itself. Um, because um, uh, you, you shouldn't forget um, uh, also the batteries are consuming now energy. Energy prices are going up high, especially, let's say, in the Western uh, states. Um, um, and therefore, the sensitivity is uh, higher now also for the consumers for choosing um, actually an electric option. Um, at the same time, you can assume also that, um, you know, that fossil fuels are picking up, um, let's say, price rights. Um, so therefore, at the end of the day, um, I think um, we are, we, the, the automotive industry has not only a strong interest, but needs to work intensively um, in making this sustainable mobility also affordable. Um, I think that's a key aspect um, uh, in the, in, uh, even if we can assume that the battery prices are slightly, uh, may go, slightly go down. What about this? Are we seeing collaboration across the industry in order to drive this electric change? Siegfried, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, batteries are a great example because they are one of the key elements or key components that are determining the success of electric mobility uh, for all sides. On the con on the consumer side, it's the it's the range. On the manufacturer side, it's of course the ability to procure these components at a reasonable price. It's um, almost thirty percent of the value of the of the components is the battery. We we already discussed that the battery is a complex uh, component. So we we have supply chains for batteries. You have the material um, sourcing. You have the cell production. You have the battery production. You have the the design. You have the testing. Um, so there's already a new part of the supply chain coming up. Um, but also in terms of recycling and, and refurbishing and second life, these are important factors because it's such a high value uh, where this, these corporations in the industry are needed. And uh, there's already um, an, um, glo the Global Battery 
association and initiatives like a battery passport that are being driven by these um, by these alliances to get comparable and uh, um, consistent information on batteries, on their components, on their materials to uh, to manage the life cycle of batteries. Got it. Marcus, is there anything you want to add here? Definitely, um, we see more and more that um, um, OEMs, but also a single suppliers cannot solve uh, the whole issue by themselves. So um, we see a new era of collaboration coming up. And this is not only true in the, uh, let's say, pure battery field that Siegfried lined out. It's also, for example, in the efforts for, uh, let's say, providing a charging um, infrastructure, uh, for example, and uh, um, investing actually in uh, charging infrastructure um, itself, um, but also in uh, research and development. Nevertheless, we have to keep in mind that, um, you know, that going for the next high performance battery means also that this is a competition factor. And the sooner you can actually um, incorporate, let's say, this new technology and innovations into your new product and actually even maybe monetize uh, the services around it, um, the more um, uh, the more interesting it is, of course, let's say, to incorporate into your core strategy. So you have to find a way on the one hand side to leverage partners, for example, for battery on cell production, um, like we have everywhere uh, at the moment um, for the whole industry, um, but also how to actually get this innovations now very quickly um, into your vehicle. And um, and this will also have a, uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a competition factor in the future. Excellent. So I think we're running close to the end of time. So I would like each of you guys to give me some final thoughts that you want to leave the audience with. So Sheila, how about we start with you? Yeah, I think that it's a very exciting time in the mobility industry. Uh, the leadership of these companies are thinking about tomorrow um, and it's going to come quick. But uh, companies uh, need to think about how to really make sure that they are thinking about uh, creating a comprehensive transformation journey for not only their consumers, but also for their employees as they think about how to uh, make us all a better uh, place from a planet perspective. Excellent. What about you, Siegfried? Yeah, I would summarize our discussion um that uh, for me, sustainability and circularity is much more an opportunity than a burden to the industry. Um, they can and they should leverage it to to uh, do this transformation to, together with technology. So technology and sustainability are both pushing each other. Um, I think that's an important factor. And um, yeah, I guess uh, circularity will be the next big thing after electrification. And you, Marcus, any last thoughts for the audience? Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's important to um, uh, in implementing this um, and uh, making exactly happen what uh, Sheila and Secret uh, lined out here and to be successful still in the future and even survive um, actually in the future, it is important to take an end-to-end -end view on sustainability and it cannot stop 
uh, in just reporting single um, sustainability projects and maybe even successes. It has to do actually how do you come to a business model that has uh, sustainability in the genes, um, uh, more or less, and how can you uh, actually do it? It has to do with how can I untap the potential of data because only what, what you now can measure will be really improved. So I think the role of data is um, essential um, in this journey. From that conversation, we've learned about the new and exciting developments in the automotive industry and the sustainability space. A special thank you to Marcus, Sheila, and Siegfried for sharing your insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the team at FutureSight for sharing this episode. If you'd like to hear more from them, check out the link in the show notes. We'll see you again next time on Driving the Future.